The hallmark, I think, of a group that really isn't safe is one that says you're not allowed to question anything. And if you do, you will be cast aside, rejected, or told that there's something wrong with you. Welcome to Chill the Fuck Out, a non-self-help, self-help show that goes beyond surface-level well-being and explores some light, entertaining, and positive ways we can improve our mental health and well-being. By interviewing some expert guests and taking a look at the topic of mental health in a wider context, we really do learn to chill the fuck out. Hey, I'm Sean Patrick, and welcome to the show. Now, the self-help industry is big business, worth over £10 billion. The number of self-help books has tripled in the last decade, and although I'm a fan of these books, and some of them I absolutely adore, I've come across so many lately that didn't help me at all, and instead made me feel a little terrible. And I have to wonder, are things turning toxic? Today, in the first of a two-part conversation, I speak with Whitney Goodman, psychotherapist and author of Toxic Positivity. During our chat, we discuss the ways we can spot a wellness philosophy that's actually rather unhealthy, and how to navigate your way through all of the noise to find what truly works for you. I hope you enjoy. Whitney, thank you so much for um, speaking with me. I, of course. I just can't begin to express my like amazing gratitude for toxic positivity. I've been in the world of self-help, new age for a long time, from being like 15. And there's things that have been good about it for me. But I definitely know if I think back to being about maybe 26, 27, I'm I'm 33 now. A lot of my friends did start to call out the, the Instagram quotes and the posts and the, the way we're often told to live our lives. And I've got I've just got some great stories I'm excited to share about <laughs> about experiences of, of toxic positivity but to start at the beginning because I can speak from experience and it includes myself we people in the well-being world um, we actually don't really know where it came from we we assume it's a an ancient wisdom some some cases it can be or just a, a way of living but what I really appreciate about your book is you, you talk about it going back to the, the Calvinists and how it really has been around forever. If you could give me and anyone listening a uh, how the self-help industry came to be 101. Sure. Yeah. So self-help industry really got its footing within religion, which I think mm-hmm. like most things have come from religion over time. It was the dominant cultural force at the formation of the United States, other places around the world. So what we saw, I think, was that religion was very like doom and gloom, and it wasn't getting the type of participation that people wanted. So they shifted into this positive thinking, God wants you to be happy and rich and all that stuff. From there, when they needed to kind of shift it into like being able to get whatever you wanted through Mm -hmm. work as a way to motivate people to become more productive, that's when we see more of like the new age thought or the wellness culture that we see today. And I see, we, I think we still see it so largely within like productivity and work and also Mm -hmm. health and wellness. And those were the two areas that I think it was kind of like competing for with religion at the beginning. Yeah, because I think, I mean, I've only ever thought of it as far back, not when you're talking about like practices that come from Buddhism or from a religion, but new thought specifically in new age. I don't think back any further than like the 
the 1970s when Louise Hay came to prominence. That is as far back as as we often go. And just in and of itself, that's interesting because anything which is eternal truth must have come before that, maybe. What do you make of the entire self-help industry? Gosh, that's a big question. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like all things, there's good and there's bad. I think, unfortunately, what we see with most industries is that they get taken over by capitalism in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways or wanting to make money. And that's when everything becomes about profit rather than necessarily being effective or good for people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what we're seeing now is just that it's really just gone off the rails. Gosh, I, I completely agree. If I talk about, if I think about my journey, I, I had a blog back 12 years ago, it was called That Guy Who Loves the Universe. And I really was a young 20-something experimenting with all things self-help. I was also vulnerable, so to speak, to anything and everything someone could sell or teach me because I was looking for more happiness. I was looking for a feeling inside of myself. Firstly, I got very confused with contradictions in teaching, which is what's going to happen. Secondly, I realized that, huh, how could this industry possibly want to heal me, for lack of a better word, when its income comes from me thinking I need more help? I completely agree with you. It's good and it's bad. And there's so much within it that I am still grateful for. But I, I currently call myself the new age dropout because I'm question, <laughs> questioning so many that. beliefs, so many beliefs that I had. Do you believe that having a spiritual belief system is a good thing? Ultimately, yes. I think Mm -hmm. spirituality, organized religion, all of these things are tools that we can choose Mm -hmm. to pick up and use in a way that serve us. I think there's a lot of really good, solid research that these things can be helpful and good for us. Mm -hmm. When I see them being used as ways to shame people, further victimize people, um, or to make people feel bad about themselves, that's when I start thinking like, ugh. This is a tool that's being used in the wrong way. I know your book is the one of many that start to question and dare I say, call out some, well, let's use the word gaslighting. I was, I was carefully not going to use that word, but here we go. Because often we're told about, especially in new age, and I'm talking about more of the spiritual world of self-help. There's a very alluring and nice set of beliefs and principles that come with it that are great to believe. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if that were true? I'm not saying it's not true, but there's also the possibility that it's just a nice idea. And that is when gaslighting comes into play for me, because I do think it's an industry that still lives in a realm of not being able to question it. Otherwise you're labeled negative. Absolutely. And negative is like the, ultimate insult you can receive in certain circles. So why is, I mean, every other industry expands and grows by knowledge being questioned, changed, re-put under the microscope. But I don't see that with new age spirituality because the absolute truths often come from because I thought so. How do you enter this world of wanting to know more about a spiritual universe but not be gaslit with something that just isn't true for you. 
Yeah, you know, the hallmark, I think, of a group that really isn't safe is one that says you're not allowed to question anything. And Mm -hmm. if you do, you will be cast aside, rejected, or told that there's something wrong with you. And so that's when I have to do it on your own, right? Or you have to choose which pieces you're going to take and use and interact with. And I think that's the thing that we see happening a lot among like young people right now, mm-hmm. um, among millennials, there's there's a huge like resurgence of people saying, I don't wanna be a part of organized religion or organized spiritual groups. So I'm gonna take a little bit from here and a little bit from there and use what works for me. Yeah, and I love that so much because if I think back to being that 22-year-old and I was doing my blog, That Guy Who Loves the Universe, it was getting followers, and I was, I mean, firstly, I was 22, so my emotional brain wasn't even developed. Um, But I started getting interest from certain well-being publisher about doing a book, and I'm really clear on how much they pushed back against me because the book was largely story-based and it offered information under an umbrella that said maybe or isn't this nice and they were not happy about that I remember actually getting an edit of the book once and they changed everywhere I said we to you and I because it had to be that I was the teacher and they knew less than me that was the that was the feeling the book had to have and I even had, I mean, we went back and forth with this book so many times. I can't believe this was even put in writing, but the email one said back to me, we're not going to move forward with this book any further. It's too authentic for our readers. And uh, how crazy, yeah, especially when that is, that's a word of, a word of the times. That's that's my long way of saying, I always wanted to engage with well-being spirituality. I, I love it. But I was raised a Catholic. We'll get onto that maybe. But I started to see a lot of this rules and conformity that came along with self-help the same way with organized religion. That's my long way of saying I completely agree. People are taking a bit of this and a bit of that. And I hope that becomes more accepted. Well, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be because it's it's your path. I want to touch on a few specific new age philosophies that I'm currently grappling with, if that's the right word, where do you stand on manifestation? So everyone gets so angry when I talk about this topic, but I think that manifestation, when we talk about it in the way that I can achieve things that are possible for me, I can dream big, I can make a vision board, set goals. That's a very positive thing. And as a therapist, I support that. Mm -hmm. Where I get a little bit lost with manifestation is this idea that if something didn't come to you, it must be because you weren't thinking the right thoughts or you were too negative. And also that if something bad happens to you, it's because you brought it on yourself. And there's that line, I, I always butcher it, but it's like nothing that's meant for you will miss you or whatever. And I found that belief to become really tricky for people mm-hmm. who have been through loss, trauma, grief in their life and thinking that that was somehow supposed to happen to them or they're yeah. being punished. Absolutely. Because I, like so many people, I was in my first year of college and a big thing hit called The Secret. And and I loved it. Like, I was like, wow, this is great. Thank God I now know this. Once again, not all good, not all bad. 
but it really explicitly says in that piece of work, you did attract the bad stuff to you as well. And that was a hard pill for my 18-year-old self to swallow. It's, a, it's just as hard a pill for my 33-year-old self to swallow because I don't think we had the language for it then, but that is victim blaming. That, that, that is victim blaming and is, is ultimately problematic. Also with manifestation, do you believe that something can come out of the blue or physically manifest, or as you put it before, it's more of a psychological practice that you're an active participant in your life for? Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I see a lot of these manifestation videos like on TikTok and stuff Mm -hmm. where people say, oh, I manifested this car or this new job. And I think the way that we're like boiling it down, it sounds that way, right? Like I thought Mm -hmm. about it. And then the car just appeared in my driveway. When in reality, there are probably a lot of steps and things mm-hmm. that went on behind that that we're not really sharing or talking yeah. about. And so to me, I'm kind of just like, let's tell the whole story. Let's talk about everything it took to get to that place where maybe having a thought and believing that you could get that was part of it. But also maybe you had somebody that helped you or mm-hmm. this other thing happened that led to that outcome. I it's so interesting because I I've heard from a few people when they talk about manifestation they say and my credit card company increased my credit arrangement. <laughs> to me that didn't that doesn't speak to uh, <laughs> to manifestation. Uh or what's the other one I've had? Oh, I remember once I was signing. Well, I didn't sign up. I was I was being cold called to join a coaching program. And it was, it was $3,000. I did not have that money at the time. And I said, I, I can't afford that right now. And they said, well, you go get a loan and let the bank pay for your success. And for me, once again, that's, that's dangerous. But in that position, like I said, I was vulnerable. I mean, I didn't do it, by the way. Right. Uh, but other people would have done just being in that position where you're being told you're not acting on this is your own self-sabotage. There's a really beautiful quote in the book about making room for hope and reality. I really wanted to ask you about that because even the word hope, I believe, could be considered a swear word in certain positivity circles. I love this idea of hope and reality. Where did you where did you come to marry them two terms? So This is like the sweet spot to me to be able to say, I accept my reality. I accept Mm -hmm. that my leg is broken or I accept that it's raining outside, whatever it is, and really recognize what's happening and also have this level of hope or optimism or faith, whatever resonates with you, that things could be different Mm -hmm. in the future and things could change. And within that, like acceptance and, and hope thinking about where does my power lie? What do I have control over? What resources and tools do I have? And I think when we marry all of that together, it gives us some agency over Mm -hmm. our life and also leaves us open to the potential that we can't control everything. And sometimes good things happen and sometimes bad things happen. And it has nothing to do with me. And that is, and that is the beautiful part of it about, when you really get into a school of thought, which is so ingrained in what we call law of attraction, it's, you start to take the rain personally. And that is not, that's not healthy. That's not positive. That's, 
a really that's a way to live that guarantees a lot of suffering and that is a point to talk about and it's what toxic positivity is it can actually lead to the exact opposite of what you're looking for which maybe i'm using too strong a word i don't believe i am but in my experience there was a lot of suffering that came from trying to live a life that was spiritually all together do you see that in other people absolutely i mean i think i think suffering is is the right word that yeah. people suffer when they feel like what i'm feeling is wrong what i'm going through what i'm experiencing is experiencing is not what i should be feeling mm-hmm. and I'm not doing a good job at using these tools that I'm being told should fix everything. Yeah. And when you feel like that, oh my gosh, you just walk around feeling like a failure all the time. Yeah. Like a spiritual loser. It's like, uh, it's like, oh, I've not managed to access this surefire guarantee of a incredible life. Exactly. So I am, I did a master's degree in psychology, specializing in positive and spiritual psychology a few years back. I'm sure there's been further developments since, since I did it, but the overlap where I found that the positive psychologists agreed with the spiritualists was the topic of gratitude. Mm. That seemed to be the place where everybody gave, gave a big thumbs up. What do you have to say about gratitude and where does gratitude become a toxic positive trait? I think the practice of gratitude can be extremely powerful, beneficial. There's a lot of good research on that. But what I find whenever we get a new intervention that is free and Mm -hmm. easy to generalize to the public, people go wild over that, right? It gets written up in every magazine, whatever. And so there becomes this pressure, much like positivity, that gratitude will fix all of your problems. And what I found, even just anecdotally in my own private practice, was that people were really feeling like there was something wrong with them if they couldn't be grateful for everything, even in the midst of really big struggles. And it so it became this weapon, you know, that was making us feel shameful. And that's Mm -hmm the exact opposite of what we're being told we should be getting out of gratitude, right? Do you find, and I'm in the UK, you're in the US, uh, but I can very much speak to the self-help new age industry being very much alive here in the the UK. I think 10 years ago, I would have described so much of this as just so American, but I'd be wrong to say that now. I'd say it's so Western or if you could teach me, is this now a worldwide thing or is it still somewhat isolated in the, in the Western world? So it's so interesting because even when I was writing this book, I, you know, when you read the book, it's very much written from an American historical perspective. Mm -hmm. And so my mindset was like, this book is not going to resonate outside of the U S and now I think it's being translated into like 14 languages Mm -hmm. at this point. So There's definitely something to be said about the fact that this positive thinking movement has spread to such a degree that people are frustrated with it enough in other places in the world than just the United States. My perception of the UK was that 
you guys weren't really that into positivity. Like it was more of like a dry kind of uh, culture. This is the this is the way I kind of decode it if I think about US okay. and UK. I think US is built on visceral feeling. I think people are being taught to value a feeling. In the UK, I think we're very much built on critical thinking. It's why I believe our university system is so strong, etc. So foundationally, I think we're thinkers, America's are more feelers, theory. But it's actually a good point because in the world of positive thinking, I found that we're often told to disregard what we're thinking. Oftentimes it's said, oh, that's your ego and vice versa. And this isn't always good either. In the UK, in your perception of it, we're often told to disregard what we're feeling to solely focus on what we're thinking. Mm. I love a both. And that is something that I don't think you get a lot in self-help, spirituality, new age necessarily, because it's about absolute truths. A marrying of this and this is, is really healthy. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree. Yeah. So with that, as a therapist, I'm sure there's times that it's important for people to feel, but I'm also sure that at times it's important for people to think. Yes. And that's something that I've seen a lot on social media lately is there's been this the pendulum has swung to the other side of like, feel all your feelings, mm -hmm. experience them, you know, especially coming from in American culture for a while, it was very much like feelings make you weak mm -hmm. and you need to learn to like not show them a lot to other people um, unless it's happiness, of course. Yeah. But, yeah. but now I think we've kind of gone a little too far that feeling your feelings all the time is not helpful. It's not yeah. optimal. And it really gets in the way of critical thinking because you become flooded with emotion and then you're unable to think rationally. Yeah. And to touch on the word again, gaslighting, I wasn't going to use it, but I'm going to use it so many <laughs> times. Uh, the, the experience I've had is a logical thought I have is I'm told, oh, that's your ego trying to keep you small, trying to keep you safe, trying for you not to be everything that you're meant to be. And you can get into a toxic relationship with your own intellect, which I can't see as, as positive. Mm. And that has been, that's been something I'm, I'm still kind of wiggling my way out of because I placed not only a disregard, but a disdain for a thought from my intelligence. Why, if you know how to answer this, why would any body of work want to disregard the mechanism of critical thinking? Well, I think we see this a lot in groups where they kind of want to make you rely on the group for mm -hmm. your knowledge to outsource all of your thinking to either the leader, the group, the text, whatever it mm -hmm. is. And that really to me just creates an over-reliance on that group. And when someone's no longer able to think for themselves, they can't function yeah. without the group. I mean, you're, yeah. you're teaching people basically to become obsessed and question their thoughts and always look to an authority mm -hmm. for what to decide to do with those thoughts. Wow. That is, yeah, that is very good. Yeah, that is very good. I, I just know for a long time I felt shame. Yeah, shame. I'll go with shame around, oh, but that's what my rational, intellect, intelligent part of my brain is telling me. You know, I remember being at a uh, conference, it was a spiritual speaker, and someone asked a question about 
going to a different country because they'd met this guy online. And and for me, that sounded dangerous, possibly, at least, at least potentially dangerous. <laughs> and this teacher was saying, hold up, hold up. How do you feel about it? You're excited. You're going to let people say it. And, and at the time, I thought, whoa, whoa, you know, some things are dangerous. Like there are times to blend, okay, my critical thinking and my visceral feeling. And sometimes it's okay to gather information. There's a, there's a pushback about gathering information sometimes that you're trying to override your gut feeling when right. so often or so much of good things are based on an extensive period of research, you know what I mean? And that's in your personal life too. So yeah, I can just definitely know that critical thinking is is not always welcome or definitely not to a large extent in certain new age circles. That being said, I know you're a therapist and I'm sure you're very aware that in the world of coaching, there's a huge anti-therapy movement. I hear of it a lot where they say, oh, therapists are just wanting to deal with the past, but as a coach, I'm going to work on your future. What is your experience of coaching versus therapy? I don't have a ton of experience with coaching just because I've never done it. I've never been to a coach. I, I hear that that rhetoric a lot of like therapists work with the past, coaches with the, the mm -hmm. present or the future. I think that's a false like misnomer about the professions. I mean, therapists talk a lot about the present or the mm -hmm. future. That's part of a lot of the work that I do. But there's certainly this sort of like turf wars, I guess, over who's doing what. And I think they both have different benefits. I agree. When I was initially making notes for this interview, I wrote down, why do coaches hate therapists, but therapists <laughs> don't hate coaches? And I think it speaks to what we were saying. There's room for both. It seems to be my experience of wellness communities to be the one to not want to make room for the both there's a lot of p and i even went down this route at one point when i was doing you know my studies i wanted to do psychological study around spirituality which isn't a bad thing and there's some really great research out there but there's no amount of visceral feeling that's going to convince your brain and there's no amount of thinking that's going to convince your feeling so Let's allow them both to exist. And it seems as if the the new wave or the way forward is about allowing both to exist. I hope so. I I really hope so because it's it stops the it stops the war and the dare I say superiority complex of you're just not there yet spiritually. You've been listening to Chill the Fuck Out. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to inspire as many people as I can with these episodes, so I'd really appreciate it if you shared the show with a friend or a family member who find it useful. Also, please leave me a review and let me know what topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show. For more information about who I am and what I do, visit heyshawnpatrick.com or email me directly at sean at heyshawnpatrick.com.